I'll speak to you as Northwest Family Church. And the next time that we're here speaking, we're going to be Journey Church. And part of, um, Dave and I have really been praying and asking the Lord um, to uh, make us one. But in that process, I think God has really given us a heart for you and for uh, this church and for all that Northwest Family Church has been and all that it's going to be. You see, we keep saying uh, to, to people at Church in the Hills, Church in the Hills is not dying, we're going forward, right? At Northwest Family Church is not dying, it's going forward. And, and it is somewhat biblical that when God does something new in a family, in a person, he gives them a new name, right? We see this with Abram. He says, your name is no longer Abram, it's Abraham. We see this again and again. Paul says, God says, your name is no longer Saul, it's Paul. And I think this is exactly what God's doing. So I don't think it's a, it's not a death, it's a go forward. God's giving us a new name and we get to go forward in power. What's great is that biblically, when God changes people's names, the future is always brighter than the past. And that's not to negate the past. You see, if Abram wasn't Abram, he couldn't have become Abraham, yes? If Saul wasn't Saul, he couldn't have become Paul. If Northwest Family Church wasn't North Family, Northwest Family Church, it couldn't become Journey Church. And I, I think God's about to do something good. I, I, uh, we were away for a week, and Pastor Roy told you that uh, we did turn off our phones. This is not a normal, well, no, it, I'm going to tell you, it is a normal thing for us to do now. We were good all week long. We said nothing about the church. We just talked about our kids and about the goodness of God and but when we got on a plane, we had to stay in the Denver airport for like, what's, how many of you ever stayed in the Denver airport for like, there is nothing in the Denver airport I would like to tell. There's like, there's a food court there and we had to be there for many hours. Our children bought cards. Don't send me letters about it because it was so, I mean, what are the cards? Yeah, that's what they're, it was boring. We were there, but we got on the plane. We flew into Calgary. Uh, both of us said, oh, God's going to do something good. You know when you can just feel that God's about to do something. I, I believe God's about to do something powerful, and uh, we get to be part of it. And that's the very exciting thing uh, today. I, I want to speak to you a message entitled Enlarge, and the subtitle is What to Do After Victory. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 4. Um, so when Dave and I moved from here, from uh, the Toronto area, to here... Um, we were pastoring in a very large church at the time, and we felt the Lord call us to come to Calgary, and specifically to Church in the Hills, and all of our friends were saying to us, what? Come on, there's got to be people in Alberta. Why, why are you moving to, because of the mountains, we said, no. But we did feel like the Lord said to us very clearly that we were to come to Church in the Hills, and we were to, um, part of our assignment was to find land, and you guys know about this, that land is an important part, and um, I told this story to our church a couple of weeks ago. I, I, we did feel like that was part of our assignment. And when we came to Church in the Hills, we said to the board, we feel like part of our assignment is to find this church land. Now, I had no idea how that was going to happen. So for the very first few weeks that I lived in Calgary, uh, Dave and I would get in our car every day and we'd drive around the city. And we'd look for abandoned buildings. We came in two years ago, just sort of in the height of the recession. And I said, what the devil intended for wrong, the Lord is going to use for good. We're going to find a building for three bucks, Dave. And we'd drive around. And every building that was like for lease, I'd get out of the car. I'd take a picture of it. I'd do a Jericho march around it. I'd call our real estate agent and find out it was $14 million. 
So I, at first, I had a lot of faith. We, we actually went on tours of buildings that we had no business going on tours of buildings. See, we'd wander around, and I'd call. Uh, I'd be at a new McDonald's because I have four kids, and, you know, I'm a frequent user. And uh, I'd be at the McDonald's, and then I would call David. Oh, there's a building, and it's near McDonald's. It's going to be awesome. We went through banquet halls, truck stops, weird old things that were just weird and old. And I, had, I said, Dave, I can have eyes of faith for this. It doesn't matter if you can only fit 35 people in here. We could have 45 services a week. It would be great. And I got to tell you, after about, we'd been here about, oh, I don't know, six months. I was so discouraged. I thought, I'm giving up. And I heard the Lord just speak this to me. I am going to do it. Stop it. Now, if you've ever, um, I I believe in a God who speaks. Listen, we believe in a God who speaks to us. But if you've ever been rebuked by the Lord, (laughs) it's not awesome. And I came home and I said to Dave, I I have to, um, we have to stop. And he said, finally, because apparently he hears first. Uh, I said, we just have to stop this. We just have to focus on the Lord and ask the Lord to bring us. Let's not worry about the building. Let's just ask the Lord to bring us people. Let's ask us to bring people that don't yet know him. And so um, I just, we just didn't really give it another thought. Real estate agents kept calling us. And we just said, listen, we're not ready for that. We don't know when we're be-. And I went away in April. And I, uh, we went away for a few days just as a family holiday. And I remember as we were driving, I thought to myself, this is never, God, I don't know why you gave us this assignment. This is like the song that never ends. This is the assignment that never ends. We will never get this. I don't know. And I was complaining. I was complaining to God and I was just, <sighs> have you ever had one of those moments where you just complain think, I don't. I'm done. I am done. And I was half angry and half just giving up. And when we get back from vacation, I just decided that when we went on vacation, well, I guess this is your idea, God. This was your plan. This was your assignment. I said I would be yours, so okay. Just as an aside, let me just share this with you so that you'll understand a bit of the excitement of people from Church in the Hills. Every Christmas and every Easter, the two high points in the church of the year, Church in the Hills would get kicked out of their building, which was the school, which is really neat to have happen to you because then you can't have anywhere to have church on Easter. I go to this, because then people could say things like this. I go to this really amazing church. We don't have church on Christmas and we don't have church on Easter. Okay, so that just, a, just, just to share with you a little bit of and, and Easter was, see, for us, after Easter happens, and Easter's coming again, because you know that you don't have a building. One year, we spent $10,000 renting a building so that we could have a building on a yes. Ouch. Okay, so we come back, and we get this call. Now, Pastor Roy, you've told this story before, but I'm just telling it because I have to get this off my chest, right? Pastor Roy, Pastor Roy calls us and says, hey, could you meet with us? Well, sure, we knew, listen, uh, uh, Dave and I had great respect. Many of our friends in the East knew Pastor Roy in Maryland and told us, you, you need to get around them. You need to learn from them. They uh, know, and Dave had gone out with Pastor Roy many times and said, I need your wisdom. We can't be in this school forever. Our church has been wandering for 20 years. And 
Pastor Roy had helped us. And, and so Dave, when he called us and said, do you want to meet? We said, yes, of course we want to meet. And this is how this all, this idea of a church merger uh, came to place. I tell you all this backstory to tell you this, that I had an idea of how God was going to complete this assignment. I could never have made this up. I could never have put the pieces, I could never have arranged it. I just knew I had an assignment and God said he was going to do it. I want to tell you in your life, whatever the assignment God has given you, whatever word he has given to you, you got to rest with it, with God. You got to give it to God and say, God, you work it out. Because I'll tell you the way that God works things out is always exponentially better than if we could work it. Hey, listen, I, I'm so excited about this because I think it's a picture to the body of Christ. I think it's a picture. It's going to be a picture to the city of Calgary. The two churches, instead of fighting and arguing over silliness, can come together and be one. That, that's amazing. Don't you think? In, in an era, listen, how, how many of you are on Twitter? Are, are any of you Twitter people? Tweeters? Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, that's good. Okay, so now if you ever go on Twitter, you'll see that there's more fighting between Christians on Twitter and Facebook than there is working together. And the world has taken note of that. Uh, Newspapers like the Washington Post and the New York Times have run editorials about how Christians spend most of their time fighting over minute theological differences that when we get to the other side of heaven are not going to matter a hill of beans. Christians spend all this time fighting over this. I just think this picture, Northwest Family Church and Church in the Hills coming together, is going to be a prophetic symbol to our city that we have more in common than we have apart, that we are better together, that we're stronger together, and that as God's army, we can go forward. You see, the Bible tells us that they're going to know we're Christians, not by our um, carpet or not going to know we're Christians because we're theologically correct They're not going to know we're Christians because we have memorized the entire book of Romans. They're going to know we're Christians by our love. And this is an opportunity. So I'm really excited. Over the next, so we've got three weeks and eight weeks. That's 11 weeks. We have 11 weeks. So in three weeks, we're going to get together. And then we have about eight weeks after that to meld our hearts. And then I think God's going to bring us people that don't yet know him. I, 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 I have a picture of this sanctuary filled I, I, I think God's going to bring us people that don't know him. I think he's going to bring us broken people. I think he's going to bring us people who have never been to church before. I, I think we're going to have stories of transformation. I, I think you're going to get kicked out of your seats where you sit. It's great. You're going to have to sit up there if you come late. You better come early. You're going to be in those. I'm laughing at whoever is going to sit in those little box seats over there. You know, those are, you can be like the Muppets up there. You can heckle us. I think we're in for exciting days. Listen, whenever God's on the move, uh, but I will say this. This is why we're going to talk about Joshua chapter 4. Whenever God's on the move, the devil's also prowling. And this is why we must be prepared. We must ask ourselves these questions. What must we do after victory? Because I I think we're in a season of some some victory right now. I think the fact that we've all said, yes, we're going to do this. And no one is taking chairs and throwing them at me right now. It's a season of victory. But the, but the question is uh, not, we've we got to ask ourselves what happens after victory. What happens after victory? So in Joshua chapter 3, 
God says to the people of Israel, okay, in three days' time, you're going to cross the Jordan. Now, when we read this, I think we often skip over the three days' time, but let me just speak this to you before we read the scripture from Joshua chapter 4. Now, if you've been wandering in a desert for 40 years, you'd been eating manna for 40 years. Many of you over here are not even 40 years old, okay? So all your life you've been wandering. And then God says, okay, in three days you're moving. What? Because people in the Bible were just like people now. You had people who would have said, I'm not ready in three days. I'm, are you kidding? I got to get my hair done. I got to get my nails done. I got to, I got to rearrange all my things. My camel has a sore foot. This is not going to work out for us. This is too soon, Joshua. This is, we need more time to process this. I am not ready. I'm a slow processor. You know that there would have been a great majority of people saying that. Yes. Yes. Can we all agree? And yet, do you notice that they just, they went over anyways. So God said, no, no, we're all going. And then he does this major miracle. And he parts the the Jordan River. And they all go across. Now, I want to talk to us. We're going to start reading from Joshua chapter 4. Starting at this, it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord. It's interesting to me that when the Israelites went across the Jordan, when God did this major miracle, what did God tell them to do? He told them to celebrate. The very first thing he told them to do was to remember and to celebrate. Now, um, Pastor Roy talked about this uh, a, a few minutes ago. On September 9th, we're going to have this a celebratory service for both of our churches to get together. We're going to remember what God did in both of our churches. And we're going to celebrate the day that he brought us together as one. This is biblical to do. Oftentimes in our fast-paced culture, when we pray and pray, you see, because... The Israelites wandering for 40 years were asking God, take us to the promised land, take us to the promised land, take us to the promised land. And then God takes them to the promised land. The human thing to do is just to go, okay, next, what's next? Okay, that's good. And we forget. We're we're, we're prone to forget, right? And so we're going to do some fun things that are going to help us to remember that this was God that put this all together. I want to call you to be a people who remember, though. Maybe you've been praying for something for many, many years, and it's finally come to fruition. I want to call you to be a people who remember, who set out memorial stones in your life, a people who remember what God has done for them. Our little fellow was quite sick last year. He got a really bad infection, and he was in the hospital for about 10 days, and it was very, very scary this time last year. And I was tucking him into bed last night, and he said, Mom, it was like a year ago, almost a year ago, that God healed me. He said, and I, I'm, I'm perfect now. He always likes to tell us this. I'm perfect now, and I am growing. And his hair got blonde. So he said to me last night, and even in Florida, my hair got blonde, Mom. 
I guess when your hair goes blonde, ladies, when we get it dyed, God is working. <laughs> and he said to us, can we have a party to remember that I got healed? Now, he might have just wanted cake, but the sentiment is good and right. Many of us, we pray for things, and then God, God hears us and answers us, and we just like carry on like, yeah, 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 whatever. I want to call us to be a remembering people. You see, we're going to remember the days when these seats weren't filled, and now they're going to be filled with people whose lives have been changed. We're going to remember those days. On September 9th, mark your calendars, be here. It's going to be really, really exciting. Okay, now, uh, after they remembered, they set up memorial stones, and they, they, and it's, listen, the remembrance is not just for you. It's for the children that will come after you. The legacy of our church is not going to be a legacy for us. This is why we don't just sing the songs that we want to sing. We sing the songs that our children want to sing because this church is for them. It's a legacy. We, we want to be a legacy-building church, yes? I knew that I was getting older when the songs that they were singing at our church on Sunday morning, I was, I don't understand these songs. They don't have a beat. They don't have a rhythm. I want to sing as the deer. That is my favorite song of all time. If I could sing that every week, and, and uh, what's it, The Steadfast Love of the Lord. Do you remember that song? I tell my sister, who's the worshiper, I'd like you to sing that song like every other week. It's so beautiful. It makes me cry. My kids always say to me, Mom, that's it's old, Mom. Yes. By the way, if you're worried about the worship, you, did, how many of you were here the week Marissa and Phil led worship and Perry led worship here? From it, The worship's going to be great. You don't need to be afraid. We're going to sing great songs, and we are going to sing some old songs because I'm getting older and I like old songs. <laughs> um, but, but, the thing, but the thing is this. When I'm uncomfortable, but I see my kids worshiping, when I'm uncomfortable, but my kids understand, and they're serving God, do you see that this is what it's about, right? If we make it all about us, if we make it all about us and all about us who are uh, the bread, then we have a church for a short time, but not for a long time. Because our kids then decide when they leave us, no, I'm not going there, I'm not going anywhere. We want to make a church where kids get up in the morning and say, Mom and Dad, you might be sick today, we're going to church. You put a mask on your face and let's go. Pray that God's going to heal you. We, we're going to, uh, in the, in the, just in the foyer as you come in, we're going to transform that into a Disney-like uh, place. We just got the first renditionings of it. Dave's going to make it, uh, Pastor Dave's going to make it into a big, giant thing so we can see it before they do it. But they're going to turn it into a train station because we're Journey Church, get it? And uh, there's going to be a big, uh, it's going to be amazing. You, if you are not involved in kids' ministry right now, you're going to want to be involved in kids' ministry. We're believing for hundreds of kids because we understand this, that the 414 window tells us that 70% of people who come to Christ come to Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. Did you know that? If you came to Christ after you were 14, you are a statistical anomaly, which is awesome. It means that God really had his hand on you. But we do know this, that 70% of people come to Christ between 4 and 14. So it would make sense that we put resources into children, yes? It's quiet. It's quiet. If you like quiet church. Uh, how many of you were here on that Wednesday when we were all in here? And it sounded like outside that there were 2,000 children out there. There wasn't, just loud ones. But we're believing God for a loud church because a loud church means a live church, Yes. All right, so, okay, so let me carry on here. We're going to celebrate, we're going to remember. If you go on to Joshua chapter 5, though, after they remember, 
It's a very strange chapter. Okay, so they've been wandering in the desert, kind of doing nothing for 40 years. And then they cross over to the Jordan, so they cross over to the promised land. Let's read chapter 5, verse 1. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the seacoast heard how God had stopped the Jordan River before the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts sank. Uh, Courage drained out of them just thinking about the people of Israel. At that time, God said to Joshua, make stone knives and circumcise the people of Israel a second time. So Joshua made stone knives and circumcised the people of Israel at Foreskins Hill. The Bible actually says this. I am not making this up. When they had completed the circumcising of the whole nation, they stayed where they were in camp until they were healed. Now, I think often we get to this chapter and we just read it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like totally normal that people would get into the promised land and then be circumcised. But let's just talk about this for just a minute. 40 years, they have been wandering in the desert with no appointments, with nowhere to go, just wandering, wandering around. Then God says, three days from now, you're going to cross over into the Jordan River. And you're going to have victory. And everybody's going to melt, their their hearts are going to melt in fear because of what I've done. And now, of all the times in the 40 years that we could have done this, now I want you to circumcise yourself. This makes no sense at all. No sense at all. Because, I mean, they're in victory now. They're like in the promised land. They're going to take land. And and God says, no, you're in the promised land. Now I want you to circumcise. What? Does anybody see the ironicness of this? And in... um, This is because, though, I believe God understands humans better than humans understand themselves. He understands that often when we get a major win, we relax. And we take it easy. And we spend a lot of time congratulating ourselves. You see, in wins, we often congratulate ourselves. But in losses, we do what? We blame other people. Right? So... So when we win, when we say, yes, our churches are coming together in unity, we certainly are a lovely bunch of people. We're so nice. We really have the love of God inside of us. We're mature. And you have to say it mature. Because if you say it mature, you're not that mature. So let's try to say it mature. We're very mature Christians. And we have the love of God really in our heart. Okay, but when things kind of go awry and people are mad at each other because they've stolen each other's seat, well, that's because... And so God doesn't let the Israelites do this. He doesn't let them congratulate themselves for the miracle that God did. After a win, we often let our guard down. Do you know, statistically, it's very rare for a sports team to win a championship two times in a row. Very, very rare. The reason for that is simple. That once you win, uh, Dave and I are giant basketball fans. You will hear a lot of uh, basketball analogies. I'm sorry if you're hockey fans. Uh, Dave may have to get on that train soon. But uh, so my Golden State Warriors that are the best basketball team of all time right now. Of all, yes, yes, I see that hand. Uh, the question is, can they win again? Uh, the Maple Leafs. I don't even know. Soon it's going to be that nobody was going to be alive when they won. Like, it's, it's, they've been never won. 
teams very rarely win twice in a row because they let their guard down, their stars get a little chubby in the off season and stop working as hard because what? They're the best. We're the best. And oftentimes when we get a win, we let our guard down if we are not careful. We allow ourselves to say, well, we can just coast now for a bit. We just coast now for a bit. I see here, the, here's the tendency for both of our churches. You know, a church in the hills, the tendency is to go, ha, ah, we don't have to set up. We don't have to get up at six in the morning. Hey, we'll probably saunter in at 1045. And maybe at Northwest Family Church, the, the tendency is to say, hey, listen, we got a lot of extra bodies here now that can do all the work. Great. And this is why we thought it was really important. We're, we're going to ask all, both of our churches over these next two weeks to consecrate themselves. Because this is what God asks us to do after a win. He asks us to come together and consecrate ourselves. In fact, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul talks about this, that we are the circumcised of heart. We're not, it's no longer an outward symbol, but our hearts must be circumcised before God. And so um, I, I want to call you to come to these nights of prayer. We're beginning tonight at 7 o'clock. 7 till 8, we will not be longer than 8 o'clock. But every night we're calling uh, both of our churches to two weeks of prayer and fasting. If you've never fasted before, I, I want to encourage you to, to think about fasting over these next two weeks. Maybe even just for a Monday or a Tuesday that you'd say, I'm going to go without food because I'm going to believe that God's going to break in on our church that he's going to do something powerful and mighty over these next two weeks. There's something powerful that happens when we come together in the spirit realm and this kind of thing happens together. We're going to pray uh, for all kinds of things. We're going to pray tonight uh, and thank God for his goodness. We're going to pray for miracles and healings to take place. We're going to pray for many, many people to come to Jesus. We're going to pray for our young people that they get a visitation of God because in every move of God, young people are touched by God. If our young people are not touched by God, then we don't have a hope. We're going to believe that God's going to stir. Our older men and women are going to see visions and dreams. God's going to wake people up in the night with, with vision for, for the city of Calgary. We're going to believe that God's going to fall on us in a powerful way. We, we must do this, though, before we go further into the promised land. Scripture bears this out. So they stepped, they took their first steps in the promised land, and then God says, now is the time to circumcise yourself. I want to call us. Now is the time to consecrate ourselves. Now is the time to say, God, would you rend our hearts? So maybe you're not in the habit of um, coming out at night. Maybe you work really long hours. I just, if you can be here one of these nights, please, please do that. Because I, I think you're going to want to be able to look back and say, I was part of that, where God broke in on us, where God did something powerful in our midst. So we consecrate ourselves. And the third thing, and last thing is this, is that we get ready to take new territory. So we remember and we celebrate, we consecrate ourselves, and then we get, re we get ready to take new territory. Now, I, I've often thought about how I would feel if I was the children of Israel, and you know, all this talk for 40 years about the promised land, and grapes being the size of your mom's head, and like, land flowing with milk and honey and in my mind going to the promised land would have seemed like you're going to go to a place like you just go over there and go ah, and it's beautiful and you don't have to do anything and you just go on a lounger kind of like a cruise ship promised land but I've come to recognize 
that promised lands in God's book are never really like that. Let's just read the scripture. So they cross the Jordan River. Everybody's hearts melt with fear. Okay, so that sounded good so far. It sounded just like the cruise ship I was expecting it to be. And then they had to circumcise themselves, okay, which is a bit of a problem. But you're going to get healed, and then you're going to be okay. And then this is what happens. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. This is not exactly what I was looking for in the promised land. Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Oh, what did you come for? So I'd kind of be like, okay. Then Joshua fell face down in the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for the servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the, J- the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. You see, when we get into the promised land, that doesn't mean that we just take it easy. That means that we say to the Lord, Now God, we're yours. What battles would you have us fight together? And God's promise to us is that he'll walk with us. His promise to us is that he'll fight those battles for us. But my idea of God fighting my battles and God's idea of fighting my battles are two entirely different things. You see, my idea of God fighting my battle is that I stay in my bed all day and then I get up and the battle's fought. I kind of like, if you're a mom or a dad, you know, if you you have a dream and all of us have this dream in our heart that we would stay in our beds in the morning and get up and our house would be really, really clean and all the children would have showered and everybody's face is washed, and all the teeth are brushed, all the dishwashers are put, all the dishes in the dishwasher are put, right? That is a dream all of us have. (sighs) But God says when we fight with him, we actually partner with him. So I think, this is what I think, I think we've crossed a proverbial Jordan. I think in the next couple of days, so God's, in a couple of weeks, God's going to begin to show us what our Jericho is. I believe God's going to walk with us. I believe he's going to show us exactly what to do. But we got to get ready to get our battle gear on and say, God, would you help us? Would you help us to tear down strongholds in our city? Would you help us to be a light? And the promise of God is that he's always with us. You see, uh, one win can't be all there is. We must see that the current win we have is not an end, but only a means to an end. And until the day that we die, till the day that we take our last breath, we will be in a battle. Now, we can see that as a negative thing, or we can see God has chosen you and still thinks that you have enough of him inside of you to do something significant. I believe every single one of you in these seats are are here for such a time as this. I believe God's going to bring us people that only you could minister to. I, I, uh, I, I, I believe that we're going to have people coming from different nations. Some of you are here and you speak five or six or 17 languages. Hey, I believe God's got you here for a reason. Uh, Dave and I pastored at a church that had 96 nations represented in it. You know, that made for a fun time in the parking lot, but I'll tell you what made it really awesome. 
The Taste of the Nations was the best Sunday in our entire church. The glory of God fell on the place. We had roti, we had curry, we had every kind of food. Hallelujah. I, I'm believing for that, that the nations are going to come because they're coming to our country, yes? And, and our churches should look like what the country looks like. And, and Canada is this beautiful country. I, I think we can be a, a light to the world of what people from different countries and different ideas can come together because we are the culture of Jesus now. I'm going to ask the band just to return. I, uh, I, I've always been uh, just taken with the story of Joshua because I think it really um, its a great picture of how God moves amongst his people. It's a great picture of how God takes um, disillusionment and turns it into promise. It's a great reminder to us that our God is always on the move if we'll partner with him. He's always on the move. And it's a great picture of what we do after victory. I, I want to call us to be a people that doesn't just pat ourselves on the back and say, aren't we good? I want to call us to be a people that says, God, what do you have for us next? It's all across the room. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Hey, I believe God is in this place today like he is every time we gather. Spirit is here. I believe God is calling us to... Um, a deeper and more personal and more powerful relationship with him than we've had before. Many of you are here and you've had powerful experiences with God. You've seen God work in powerful ways. You've heard his voice in the middle of the night. I want to call you at this moment to believe God for more. That as long as you're living, that there's still more of his presence. There's more of his glory. There's more of who he, has, who he is to be in your life. Some of you are here and um, maybe you've never had an experience with God. You know God. You know of Him, but you never experienced Him. Today, I want to pray with you. I want to pray that, that in this season that you would experience God's power, His love, His grace, and the reality of who He is in a new, a new way. God says this in the book of James, that if you come close to me, and I'll come close to you. It's a powerful promise we have from God. That he is an experiential God. He's not just a God somewhere far out that we can know of but not know. He's a God that says, I know your name. If that's you this morning. You'd say, yeah, Jess, I, I want to experience God. I want to know him. I don't want to just know about religion, but I want to know God. If that's you, I want to pray with you. Can you just raise your hand? I won't embarrass you or point you out. I just want to pray with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There are others of us here who would say, uh, I, I want to experience more of God in this season. I want to know him more deeply. I want to hear his voice more clearly. I just want to, if that's you this morning, I'm just going to ask you just to raise your hand up to heaven. You're saying, God, yeah, I want more of you. I want more of your presence. I want more of your, yeah, all over the place. People saying, yeah, God, I want more of you. So God, for your people today, I pray that you would endue them with power from heaven. God, may you give us ears to hear in this season. 
May you give us eyes to see you in this season. God, I pray that you would be working powerfully and mightily in our midst. I thank you, God. I thank you for the good things that you have in store for Northwest Family Church as we go forward. I thank you for the good things that you have in store for every person that calls this place home. I pray that you would give us hope now as we walk across the Jordan River. You give us hope for new miracles. You give us hope uh, for, for new, you give us new expectation, God, for how you're going to move. And God, I thank you that walls are coming down, walls in our own hearts, walls in our own minds. Thank you that you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask for, above all we could ever ask for or imagine. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Just lead us. When I called on your name, you answered. When I fall, you are there.